What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast in association with Charles Tirrett, who are supporting the podcast over the Ashes series. Known for their stylish shirts, it's worth checking out their knitwear range, including crewnecks, their v-necks, or even their zipnecks. Available in a variety of colours and perfect for wearing to the office, or even when, and this is more relevant than it was in previous weeks, when you're working from home. During this period, we'll be offering a discount for our listeners. If you use the code WISDOM20 at checkout, as a code suggests, you'll get 20% off your order. That's code WISDOM20. Australia are 1-0 up in the 2021-22 Ashes series after a dominant nine-wicket win at the Gabba. I'm Yazron, and to absorb those three and a half days with me is the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the featured editor of Wisdom.com, Tar Hashim. Mark Butcher will be joining us over the phone later in the show. Um, Lizzie Ammon asks, why do we do this? That's a question that I was asking myself a lot, but especially this morning as England lost eight wickets in, in no time. Uh, Joe, I asked you how you were feeling about the series before the start of the first test. How are you feeling one test in? Um, tired and a bit angry, which is... Angry? Kind of a bit. Um, yeah, I guess it's a kind of familiar feeling for, for these Ashes tours, but it does seem to have come around a bit quicker, <laughs> quicker than I was hoping. I mean, it couldn't have been any quicker with the with the, the first ball. Um, and then things kind of went downhill from there, then picked up a little bit just to give you that glimmer of hope, although not really much of hope at that stage. And then obviously uh, collapsed like a pack of cards on day four. Um, the set of dismissals on day four was dispiritingly limp, really, after the fight that Root and Milan had shown. And that sense that England are probably going to lose the game, but they might be able to kind of go into Adelaide with their head held high, having pushed Australia, showing that there was another side in this series and they weren't just going to be a walkover. Day four didn't give that impression at all. Day four was much like day one and day two. Um, and over the course of the test match, England were thoroughly outplayed with bat, ball and also in the field. Uh, Australia's fielding was excellent. England's was pretty poor. 
so I'm sure you're going to ask at some point in this podcast, reasons to be cheerful. There aren't that many to take from from what we've just seen over the last four days, unfortunately. So mm. um, days one, two and four couldn't really have gone that much worse for England. Um, yeah, it, it did feel a lot like previous Ashes series gone by and to the extent to which it felt like it was the fourth test in England with 3-0 down on day two. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's, the thing is, like, it's like, are we surprised? I mean, England have kind of they've had they've had a really bad, they've had a pretty bad year. Um, so in that way, you know, there's not that much of a surprise. But then there's this thing where you know you're kind of building up to the Ashes, and and suddenly everything's kind of like, oh, England, England aren't too bad. They've got they've got Ben Stokes. Oh, the weather, the weather might suit them. All that kind of thing. And so you're kind of in your head, you're thinking, oh, this could be quite close. This could be quite close. And then in just one ball, mm. it goes, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's just, it's not happening. Um, and that kind of just, it was, it was, it was almost too quick. Whereas last time around at, at the Gabba, um, that first day was, was quite a positive one for mm. England, wasn't it? With, with Vince getting runs, with, with Stoneman getting runs. This time it was just like, oh, right. Okay. We're in this, we're in this deep. It's yeah, it's just, it's, it's not going to go well. Mm. Um, Day three, day three was hopeful for England fans. Certainly, day three was really good. Really good. Really I, good. I saw you after day three. You, you I was buzzing. You were, you were buzzing. Oh, I was, I was yeah, really, really deprived really of sleep. <laughs> you were highly caffeinated and buzzing for it, um, yeah. and it was it was nice to see. Um, uh, but it also gave me sort of uh, for some people it was sort of a uh, sort of the hope was oh this could be like 2010-11. Um, but just seeing Root and Milan get runs, it was kind of like. This could also be, I, I saw this partnership happen last time around four years ago and, and there was kind of hope there, but... Is that the Adelaide oh, Test match you were saying? I think so, yeah. I think that's the one, um, but... In terms of yeah. uh, misplaced <laughs> optimism, there was a, a graphic they flashed up yesterday which kind of really hammered it home, which we all know the, the stats, but they're worth repeating that Root has scored almost a thousand more runs, or is it more, yeah, than, more than a, than a more thousand, than a thousand yeah. more runs than any other England player? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he looked good though. Dom, Dom Sibley <laughs> is England's third highest scorer this year. He got dropped, what, three tests ago and is yeah. averaging sub 20. It's kind of laughable that we think that England can compete in any way whatsoever. Their bowlers, who I thought were really unlucky across this test match, um, can bowl as well as they want. But if England aren't going to score any runs, then they're not going to win any test matches. And it really, when Root trudged off after getting, what, 88, was it, he got yesterday. Uh, and I don't know which of the Aussie commentators were, there are so many of them, uh, said, 88, well batted, but that's not enough. And, you know, it, it should be enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 88 should, should be enough. You, you don't want to get out for 88 every time, but yeah. it's only not enough because the rest of the batting unit is kind of, frankly, pathetic. To, as I say, to have Sibley as our third top scorer for the year when he's not in the side and he's averaging 19, mm. to have Burns as our second highest run scorer, and hasn't he broken the record for most ducks in a... For an opener. For so, an opener. So no opener. Yeah, so he's got six ducks in 2021. Uh, no opener has ever done that before. And this is our second highest score this year. Uh, after sorry. Second yeah, highest yeah, score yeah, after, uh, after yeah, Root. Yeah. So, you know, we can we can dress it up all we want, but with those stats, the upscaling required of England's batting is enormous for them to stand any chance. Yeah, there isn't that much debate about whether or not this this group of batters England have taken to Australia the best England have got available. Uh, what, what what do things happen? Because they, they, they've, done, they've done all right. Individuals there have won England Test matches uh, against decent opposition fairly recently. Um, is it partly... I mean, Butler and Stokes haven't played that many Test matches in 2021. 
they've not got that much cricket behind them. Uh, a player like Pope, I guess, hasn't developed in the way you'd expect him to. Uh, Burns has always kind of been this weird player who either does actually very, very well and scores hundreds kind of when you least expect him to, but then goes through quite long, lean patches. But it's widely accepted he's probably England's best opener. Yeah, well, why do you think it's been this bad in 2021? Well, I, I did just want to say it's, there's something sort of oddly comedic about for two years hearing we need to score big first inning <laughs> runs in Australia, big first inning runs, and then all out 147 <laughs> first day. Um, you're right. This is probably the best group of England batters available. Um, I, I wouldn't say that if you look through that lineup, who has really won England matches recently, though? Rory Burns, when he's got hundreds, England really haven't won games. <clears throat> um, you know, Hamid is still yeah. just into the side. Milan's just come back into the side and, you know, is one of the few positives from this test. Root is the main guy. Really is. Uh, Stokes, like you say, hasn't played much this year. Um, so there's that obvious rustiness. And um, yeah, Pope, Pope, Pope. It's just, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it was just like, it just feel, felt so nailed on when he first came into that side. And it's just like, it's just not clicked and there for are still, him. And there are still glimpses there. It's yeah. not the scale when Crawley had his kind of collapse. Hmm. He just didn't look like he was going to get a run. Whereas Pope batted quite nicely. He'll in, get to 20, 30. And, yeah. yeah. And that's that's the frustration. I still I still have a lot of hope for Pope. Uh, I think he will come good. But I have been saying that for a little while. Mm. But you know, it's easy to forget how how young he is. Um, in terms of England's batting failures in this test, obviously people will point to their lack of preparation, and and that is undeniably an issue. But it is an issue for just Test cricket in general. It's an issue for the game, and there's no point whinging about it. Really, uh, we don't like it. We wish it was different, but it's not going to change. Uh, New Zealand had almost no preparation when they arrived in England before turning them over this summer. Uh, India, the same, had very little uh, acclimatisation period before, um, well, not turning over England, still to be decided, but, you know, being up in the series, beating them in their both their London venues. So this is these problems are, are tricky, but they're not insurmountable. Mm. Apart from for England, they seem to be. Um, Joe, I want to go back to that first ball again. Just how special was that as a moment of theatre? All the build-up and then to have that first ball of the Ashes series was... I, I thought that was amazing, even though from an English perspective, I hated it. But I thought just as a... Yeah, as a moment that people will stick in them... That moment will stick in their memories for a very long time. That was brilliant. Oh, absolutely. It will, it will go down in Ashes folklore alongside... Or English Ashes folklore alongside uh, NASA choosing to field at the Gabba and Harmison's first ball wide. Uh, and it was it was just as dramatic as... It was more dramatic than Harmison, really. Because Harmison, that's become a big thing. But in the context of the game, it didn't really matter, mm. really. With Burns, that really did matter. Because the whole... All we were talking about was you need to get through that new ball, through that new ball, give Root a little bit of protection. And within one ball, he's gone. A couple of overs later, Milan's gone. And and the game already feels like it's... it's uh, almost not out of England's reach because obviously it's not there is time to come back but it just felt so kind of grimly inevitable as soon as it happened but and just the the image of the whole thing I mean I've gone through some of the photos of, of Burns' dismissal well. he is an extraordinary position uh, as as the stumps are impacted um, and you know the emotion of it all starts kind of veins popping on his uh, on his head it, yeah it was extraordinary what makes that ball so surreal is the fact that it's obviously quick, but even sort of the ball's like halfway down and you can see where Burns is and you're like, oh, he's like, mm. he's missing this. And if he's missing this, he's gone. <laughs> like that's what made it so just incredible because it was so like, 
you didn't you didn't need to watch the ball hit the stumps. You knew yeah. sort of just a few seconds milliseconds earlier that oh he's he's gone here. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed some of the Australian coverage of it. There's the the video from Triple M Radio <laughs> yeah, where uh, the commentator basically completely loses any control over what he's saying and then ends up saying off you drop Burns um, <laughs> pointing at Burns oh, kind of ushering him away. And Izzy Westbury who is uh who's who's I guess the, the I think the only English commentator in that team um kind of is, is trying to escape the room uh, as 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 the wicket falls, and as the wicket falls, Aaron Finch walks into the room. So you got this World Cup winning Australia captain strolling into the room. Australia take uh, wicket with the first ball of the series. Um, Joe, uh, this might be looking into things a little bit too much, um, but how much do you think the history of England English Ashes failures in Australia hangs over the players? Because um, I mean, even even the toss, you know, it was there was something in the pitch. It was clear. The conditions were as reasonably overcast. England are a much stronger bowling attack than they are a batting unit at the moment. Uh, Australia are a weaker batting unit than they are a bowling attack at the moment. How much do you think NASA's will have a bowl in 2002 impacted things? And also, how much do you think just the, the occasion kind of potentially gets the England players and knowing the history of English failing in Australia? I think it can't not have an impact. Just look at the impact it has on us uh, as, as writers, broadcasters, as as the fans as well, I can't imagine that doesn't seep through to the players. And we and we know players have talked about it before when, when they won in 10-11, so much of the, the preamble to that series was putting all that stuff out of their mind and focusing just on the challenge ahead, not letting history impact you. So we know it's we know it's played its part in the past. Um yeah, and I think the I think the the toss is a little bit of a red herring given how dominant Australia were in this match. I don't think we can go, well, you know, Root probably does regret batting now but I don't think if he'd fielded based on the quality of the two teams England would have won the match um, but you're right I think if you, if Root was out there in the middle looked down and saw that pitch looked above and saw those condi- uh, overhead conditions and he was in South Africa or New Zealand or England or potentially elsewhere in Australia not at the Gabba then I think he'd had a bowl and I'd <laughs> Yeah, and that is absolutely wrapped up in in the kind of folklore of the whole thing, and and these these critical moments in Ashes history playing playing on your minds. And in some ways, it was <clears throat> in some ways it was the it was a brave call, um, because as we discussed previously on the show, even if Australia had racked up kind of four hundred, you know, England might have responded in kind. But when you've been skittled for for such a low score in the first innings, it's very very hard to come back from the game was basically gone we, we could look into the intricacies and like well, how can they get out of this but the game was basically gone mm. um i thought one one possible factor for root in in wanting to bat first is actually the last two times he chose to bowl first were laws and oval against india and england properly folded in both fourth innings and i wonder if that played into his mind at all the last two times he decided to do that england have lost so i guess that's that's fair enough um, I caught up with Butch earlier to get his thoughts on what happened. Morning, Butch. We're talking about six hours after England were consigned to a nine-wicket defeat in the opening test. Um, going right back to the start of the test match, what did you make of the, the selection, the call to to leave out both, not only Jimmy Anderson, but Stuart Broad as well? Um, well, I mean, the, the reports we heard early were that, that Anderson had a had a slight tweak in the in the calf, and so that was... That was more more to do with fitness than anything else, and the broad one came as a, a little bit of a surprise. But then, when you looked at the way that the team lined up, you kind of un- understood it. Um, I, I was less I was less annoyed about that 
I mean, obviously, people are going to people are going to say, well, you know, Broad had um, had Warner on toast. England didn't bowl around the wicket. At Warner, um, there's a 1300 Test wickets or sat on the bench, all that type of thing. But if you're not on the ground and you don't know how they've trained or what's going on, then it's difficult to make that call. So I was I was kind of okay with that because I still think that Wokes Wokes and Robinson um, will be England's most effective bowlers on the on the trip. So I kind of I, I I didn't have a problem with that, and I understood the need to want to want to have this the extra pace of wood in the team. So I, on that side of it, I wasn't bothered. The thing that bothered me most was the kind of this idea. And, and I've even heard some people sort of going all the way back to NASA in 2002 and sort of blaming NAS for NASA's decision to, bat, uh, to bowl first there for a reason as to why um, England would have decided to, to bat first on day one. Um, you know, if, if it's easier to look back that far, if you're saying that the team looked back that far and took their information from a, from a completely different set of circumstances back in 2002, as opposed to opening their bedroom window and going, Jesus Christ, it looked dark and humid and it's been raining for a month and that influenced their decision then uh, then you and they are insane um it just looked like a bowling day all day long um and i'm not saying that that's the reason they lost the test match but what i am saying is it's enough make it difficult it makes it so so tough for yourself on the pod that we did in the, in the lead up to the test match so if it's going to it looks like it's going to be a shortened game if it looks like the rain is going to have an effect in it then you'd probably bowl first because the way to win a match when, when, when time gets taken out there is that you bowl the opposition out cheaply in the first innings. You make runs when it's easier to bat. And at the Gabba, it's always easier to bat day two, day three. And then you bowl them out again when it becomes tough again on the other side. And that's pretty much what Australia did. And, and England handed Australia that advantage um, through, a, I don't know. I mean, they, they, they tend to get a lot of these big, big calls wrong, England, at the moment. And it makes life doubly difficult for a team that is, well, struggling. Um, at mercurial would be the polite way of putting it. On, the, on, on last week's pod, um, you talked about the importance of, of being bold when you're playing Australia in Australia. And I'm kind of thinking, if I'm Australia and I see the England team cheat on day one of an Ashes series and I see Stu- uh, Stuart Ward's not playing, Jack Leach is playing. I'm probably liking that from an Australian perspective, especially given how well Broad bowled in 2019, how well he bowled to David Warner, how well he bowled to left-handers in general. Um, what do you make of, of the... I guess, treatment of, of the man who came in for him, Jack Leach. not played a single test match outside Asia since Chris Hillwood's first test match in charge all the way back in 2019. Um, he's not... He, he obviously went at, He went for, for, for a lot. He went at eights and nines for, for a lot of the Australia first innings. But what, what do you make of the decision to, to trust him now of all times? Well, I, I, would, I would encourage people to go back through the pods through the summer um, to get an idea of what I think about the way Jack Leach has been handled and Jack Leach's role in the England team and Jack Leach's likely role in the Ashes um, and how England have completely and utterly stuffed that up. They've messed, messed him up and they've messed their own um, chances uh, of winning an Ashes series up in doing so. Go back to the, the New Zealand series. Jack Leach just come off his best ever performance for England in, in India, albeit very different, different conditions, the ball turning, um, you know, spinners, uh, ruling the roost in India. But he's confident. He feels like he's a member of the team. He's, he's contributing um, and, and is, is, in, is in the best sort of physical and mental shape that he could possibly be as an England player. Come the summer, England decide that if Ben, ben Stokes isn't going to be available or Chris Wokes isn't going to be available, there's no place in the team for Jack Leach. So Jack Leach doesn't play in two friendly matches, basically, against New Zealand. 
he should have played. He then doesn't get a gig in any of the test matches against India. Now, I, I argued from very, very long time back that England are going to need to know if Jack Leach can hold first innings and then perhaps do what he's, he's most likely, most renowned for, which is take wickets when the pitch starts to turn at the end. They're going to need to know that because in Australia, you have to have a spin bowler who can bowl maybe a third or slightly less than a third of your overs when it's roasting hot and the kookaburra ball has gone flat and the pitch is flat. You have to have somebody. That's, what, that's how Australia have been successful. That's what Nathan Lyon has been able to do for them as he goes past 400 test match wickets as a finger spinner. Stunning performance. You have to have that. There's, no, there's just no way around it. And so knowing that that was the case, Jack Leach, they had to find out if Jack Leach could do that. And if that meant playing only a four-man bowling attack during the summer against New Zealand, um, three quicks and a spinner, to see if Leach could do that or not, then so be it. Do that because that's preparation for what comes later. They decided they weren't going to do that. He didn't play. So he then has no test match cricket whatsoever from, from his best ever performance up until the toughest series that he's ever going to play in and then gets thrown in in the first test against a team full of left-handers on a pitch with no spin in Brisbane. And guess what? They decide they're going to come charging at him like the light brigade and just smash him out of the park. Now they've got a massive, massive problem and it's a problem all of their own making. What do you think happened there? Because we've been critical of England putting too much emphasis on everything being Ashes preparation. They'd they'd have series against number one and number two teams in the world and they'd openly say, it's all about the Ashes, it's all about the Ashes, we're all building towards the Ashes. And here we are um, going into the first test of that Ashes series, them doing something they haven't seemingly prepared for. What do you think happened there? Well, the the thing is, it's all it's all very well saying you're preparing for the ashes, but there but there are the actions that are that are meant um, or that are required, you know. And the actions are playing if if you trying to play an eleven, a balanced eleven, um, to win test matches, and that actually isn't preparation for the ashes. That's just playing good test cricket. Now England sort of decided they were going to do without a spin a full stop for large large portions of the summer, and you know you could look at you could look back at, at some of the, the conditions that we played on in England and say that was perfectly, perfectly reasonable thing to do. But it's not. It just isn't. You, you know, it, the, the greatest Australian team, the best Australian team that I played against, come hell or high water, it didn't matter if the game was a two-day game or a four-day game, and admittedly the, the spin bowler we're talking about was Shane Warne, went in with four bowlers, right? They were the four best bowlers and they all had very specific roles. And those roles would come into play throughout the course of the five-day test match. Which is, why they, which is why Australia in this test match were able to name their team three days out from the start of the game. It didn't make any difference to them whether it was going to be a shortened game, whether the game was, uh, whether the pitch was going to be very, very green or whether the pitch was going to be brown and flat. It made no odds because they had the attack that was going to be able to cope with whatever conditions came up over the course of the five days. England do it a different way. They leave it to the last minute to pick the team. They then try and guess what the pitch is going to do on day one and day two and then forget about what's going to happen later on down the line. Um, you know, and this sounds like a very, very harsh critique, but it's kind of, you know, I've watched them do it. I've watched them do it since, since that, uh, the Wanderers test match um, in South Africa where they decided to go in. Uh, Don Bess had taken wickets in the, in the sort of series winning matches in South Africa and they decided to go in with five quicks in the test match in the Wanderers. They won the game. 
but I, but I didn't agree with it then, and I, and I certainly don't don't agree with what it's now led to. It led to a position where the where, the, where England's spin bowler, their number one spin bowler, has no bowling under his belt in Test match cricket. They have very little confidence in him. He has very little confidence in himself, and now they're going to be thinking very seriously about playing five quicks again in the in the day night Test match. England England aren't very good at batting, Butch. Um, in in, yeah. in 2021, they've been bowled out for. Under 200, 10 times out of 22 completed innings. Um, and if you go through the numbers of all the batters who played for England in 2021, only Root and Milan averaged more than 30. Um, Burns is the only player to score 100 other than Joe Root. Um, most of the batters average somewhere between uh, 19 and 28. On Rory Burns, it was an amazing moment. Mitchell started bowling in with the first ball of the series. Um, but he, but, he's, but he's, had, he's had troubles against quick left arm paces who swing the ball a lot. I mean, no one enjoys that particularly, but he's got a string of very low scores against Shaheen and, and now Stark nearly got him out of the two ducks here. How, how do you feel about Burns going into the rest of the series? Yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've, always, I've always had an enormous amount of admiration and respect for Rory Burns because anybody that can, can play the way that he does or has the sort of technique that he does um, and who is largely very successful in doing so first class level yes and then has been has been okay as a, as a test match player um and hasn't allowed the sort of the the you know the criticism or whatever of his technique sort of change what he does and, and he hasn't been he hasn't been shifted off that off that course has got got to have some sort of mental strength however i do i do marvel and wince at times at, at how he manages to score any runs at all playing the way that he does i mean it is quite extraordinary and one of the things that, that, that left arm pace does when that front foot goes, goes as far across to the offside um, as, it, as it does with him, um, it, it, just, it kind of just leaves you exposed to everything. Um, the, angle, the angle of left arm makes it far, far worse um, than it does to the right arm coming over the wicket because a lot, of the balls, a lot of the balls from right arm over the wicket are kind of going to go past the off stump. But the left armer can actually can hit middle and leg all that kind of stuff with the ball pitching in line. So you've got real big problems there. The other thing is, is that the pace that Stark is bowling, the pace Shaheen bowls, the speed of the, the relative speed of the pitches in Australia versus the pitches in England is that Rory Burns is very, very adept at home in pulling that right leg back out of the way and allowing the bat, the path to come through and access the ball. When the pitches are quicker, it, you don't have time to get the, the pad out of the way anymore. It just kind of, you know, it's just you're not fast enough to sort of drag that foot back out of, out of line and get the bat down, which makes life very, very difficult indeed. Um, you know, first thing is dismissal was, was as much nerves as anything because I don't think I've ever seen his front foot go that far across. You know, it always goes, but never. You know, it was like, it was two sets of stumps across uh, outside off stump. Um, and so, you know, horrendous start to, to the trip for him. Um, I think he dropped a catch as well, didn't he? So he's feeling massively under the pump at the moment. But, you know, Hazelwood in the, in the second innings ran up and, and tried to literally tried to hit leg stump, didn't he? Um, bowling over the wicket as a right armour. So um, Australia are on to him and they're going to make it very, very difficult. So something, something is probably going to have to change in terms of, in, in terms of his technique. He's going to <laughs> he's gonna have to become a little bit more orthodox, perhaps. Um, or he's going to find himself out of the team and... And, you know, Zach Crawley or even Johnny Bairstow might find themselves at the top of the order for England sooner rather than later. Um, I wanted to ask you about another sorry man, um, Ollie Pope. 
When when he scored those runs in New Zealand and South Africa in 2019-20, averaging around about 50 over the course of that winter, it looked like all the promise that he'd shown in the county game um, was, was bearing fruit in the test game. It looked like he was going to make that step up. It's not really happened for him since. Um, this year, he averages about 23. Um, and I think even watching him at the Oval in the county championship this year, there, there's something frenetic about the way he is at the crease. He, he seemed rushed. Um, and even more so when he's playing test cricket now. And I know he got that 80 against India in the summer, but um, there's been a lot of low scores for Pope in 2021. What do you think What do you think's happened there? Um, I, th- I thought he was really frenetic in both innings um, in this test match. Um, and I think he gets... He gets almost too low when the ball for, for balls that bounce more than he expects. So the top edge is always quite a likely occurrence. Yeah, I mean, look, I think again, now he he here is a lad that is unbelievably talented. Um, there's a there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of nerves around in in, in Ashes cricket. Don't underestimate how how hyped up and how sort of how much the nerves are jangling around in your in, in your first Ashes trip away from home. Brisbane test all of the you know all of the folklore around the gabatoire and all that kind of stuff it kind of it can get to you and I and again I agree I think he was he just looks like his pants are on fire at the moment um and there needs to be some sort of calming I don't don't think there's anything particularly particularly wrong with the way that he plays I just think he's trying to he's trying to get to 30 before he's before he's got to two you know what I mean Mm. there's something really sort of um uh, really uh, agitated about the way he's playing at the moment, um, and you know, per, per ho- hopefully that'll be test match out of the way. Bit of nerves. He's kind of been in the been in the country a little bit, has had a taste of it, and we'll be able to we'll be able to calm himself down and and, and be uh, and be a little bit more assured at the crease. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's somebody else. He's, his reputation goes before him, and people are kind of very, very happy to to look at that and say, "Well, it's, it's county cricket. He plays at the Oval. He's going to score a lot of runs." He's a fantastic young player. Um, that doesn't mean that he gets a, a rope that is that is, uh, that is so long that he can continually fail and, and and not and not feel the consequences of that. But I would be I would be very happy to allow somebody as talented as, as Ollie Pope as much rope as you could possibly give him. The problem is, is you're giving him a lot of rope in a batting lineup that isn't scoring any runs. So it, so it looks doubly bad. Um, you know, that, so there are problems, huge issues with the, with the order. Good, you know, positives in the order is I thought Hamid looked terrific. Um, I was asked in a, in a podcast a couple of weeks back, probably wasn't the last one, but the one before that, if I was concerned about his technique against the bouncing ball and, um, you know, the pace of Aussie pitches, I gave a one-word answer, no, um, and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to stand by that. I thought he, thought he looked fabulous. So his footwork was sensational. Um, one of the few players to sort of get a really big stride forward into to the likes of Cummings and, and Hazelwood also played the, played the high ball pretty well too. Um, he's, just got, he's just got to get, um, you know, find a... Watch, watch some videotape of... Um, videotape. How old am I? <laughs> watch, just get a little bit of a look at the way that Marnus Labuschagne played in the, in the first innings and the way that he um, negotiated where his off stump was and, 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 you know, allowed plenty of balls to go over the top of the stump. Both he and Joe Root actually um, caught out pushing at balls on, on, in the channel outside of off stump off the front foot and nicking deliveries that they could very safely have, have left. Um, and balls that wouldn't have cost them their wicket on less bouncy tracks at home. So, you know, that's, that's, a, learning, that's a learning thing for him. Um, and it's also, you know, I, I always think about this in terms of um, winter trips. 
the, the Aussies, even though that it appears that they haven't played a massive amount of cricket either in the lead-up, the, the World T20 and all the rest of it, the, the build-up to your season, you know, build-up for them is um, our August, September, whatever, August, September, they sort of have their pre-season and they're beginning, that, you know, the, the, their, their workload is, is on the rise. Where of course at the end of our season everything's kind of winding down. You kind of feel like you've got to the, the peak of the mountain there, and you're winding down, and then you and then you've got to come back up again. And it is much easier for the home team, as it is for us when when teams come to us cold at the back end of their their um their summers. Um, you know their preparation is a little bit behind, and of course England had had no time whatsoever in in terms of um, practice matches. Um, you got COVID, you got the the weather kind of disrupted everything in the lead up. Um, and they were they were very very undercooked mm. um, in both in both departments batting and bowling. So I do have a certain amount of sympathy for them. I do think that they make life very difficult for themselves unnecessarily. And I do think that they are they're lacking a bit of quality. That's you know in the, particularly in the batting department. Mm. Um, another another positive was Milan. Milan batted pretty well to get that eighty odd. Um, and I kind of wondered with with Hamid looking as good as he did. And I know I don't want to get too excited by scores of twenty five and twenty seven. But that, that, that's probably the most comfortable I've seen him in test cricket against pace. Um, and Milan, someone who's not played that much test cricket recently. Um, I mean, Ed Smith famously said his game suited um, overseas pitches more than it did home pitches. Um, I was kind of wondering, and, and maybe I'm asking this too early in the series, but how, how good a parameter are English county pitches for for? batter's ability to, to, to face good pace bowling because Hamid you know is well documented averages 29 against pace bowling over the course of his entire first class career that's in division one that's in division two and then up against Hazelwood Stark and Cummins looks all right you know <laughs> what, what's going on <laughs> using using the wrong uh, the wrong jargon around um Around uh, visual visual aids and visual training aids aside, but being older is has its own advantages. In that, I can remember in the <clears throat> in the early to mid early to mid nineties, where county pitches were, were very much suited to the to the medium pace wobbler. Um, you know, sideways movement, low bounce, all that type of stuff um, made made trying to understand who the better players were around very very difficult. Um, and we have a very similar situation to that now. In fact, I go as far as to say they're probably worse, worse at the moment than they were even back then. Um, which does make it very, very, very difficult to to work out who the better players are. Which is why you kind of, you know, which is why the I remember the first time I saw Hamid play, and um, in in England under 19s against Australia, funnily enough. Uh, and I saw him play, and I just thought this kid's got it. You know, just technique wise, he just looked streets ahead of all the other kids in that in that team um and Milan you know Milan I thought that was harsh when Ed Smith said that about Milan he obviously he obviously knows how to make runs in England because he because he's done so over many years as a, as a proper as a proper top county pro and, and that's part of what I like about having him in there at number three again I've been on record saying it that he, he brings a sort of you know he brings a sort of know-how and, and a cussedness of somebody that has been around for a long time and understands his game and there are no frills. He's not out there trying to sort of impress people that he can play. He knows he can play. He's got numbers behind him. He made big runs last last year um, for Yorkshire. And, um, you know, should be in the prime of his career. Uh, so, you know, he's, a, he's quite a sort of a sobering, a sober presence at the, in that top order. And somebody that, 
you know, if Joe Root gets an ally there to be able to pile some big runs on, on the board that will give England a, a foothold in the series. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a big tick. Um, and finally, you said, I think you said it'd be 3-1 uh, last week. Are you still sticking by that prediction? It could be, it could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. I, the, thing is with, the thing is with these guys, um, you, you still feel that they've got a win in them somewhere, don't you? I mean, that's, that's, that they've proven that over the years. They're, just, I don't, they're not good enough to win the series. I, you know, I, I can't. There's no way that they will be consistent enough. I mean, but put it this way. You watch the way that Australia performed <clears throat> in, the, in the test match. And they had their little periods where they, you know, they, they lost a couple of wickets, but they were able to to rebuild, or they didn't bowl so well at the back end of um, the back end of, of, of the third evening, uh, but then came roaring back in the, at the beginning of the day four. And my suspicion always was that, you know, that it, that in Australia that final session is really tough on, on fielding teams, and it, you know, the ball gets tired and pitch gets flat and it's roasting hot and whatever. But then what happens the next morning is that they you know, come back refreshed and, and it can be real, a real struggle for a couple of batters who were in flowing on the, on the, the previous evening to then get going again um, the next day. In fact, I can point to 2002-03 when Marcus Trescothic and I both walked off 50 not out, I think, at the end of day two or day three, um, probably day two, I think, of, of that uh, infamous test match. And then came back the next day and kind of, you know, couldn't, couldn't lay a bat on it the next morning. You know? So mm-hmm. it is, you know, that didn't surprise me what happened um, in, the, in the wee small hours of, uh, of this morning today. Cricket 22 is out now on PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One and Series XS and PC, the latest from Big Ant, the biggest name in cricket simulations. Cricket 22 gives you unprecedented depth with new controls, gameplay, a narrative-driven career mode, a new commentary team, and all new team and competition licenses. Play along with this year's Ashes competition, take part on the 100, or move through the ranks to represent your nation at the highest level. Cricket 22 has it all, and remember, it is out right now. Um, we've touched on it already, and Butch talked about England's batting as well. Tal, were there some positives there despite the two collapses? I thought Milan, Milan looked pretty good second innings. Hamid, I thought, looked very solid up until both of his dismissals. But yeah, he got 27 and 25. And I thought Butler looked pretty good in both innings. What, what do you think? Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, Hamid, Hamid did look nice. I thought he left pretty well in that first morning. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so wrapped up in the in the story that I, I can't just, I just can't, I just don't want to see him fail. Uh, and it was, a, it was a positive start, but still it's just, a pair of twenties, and I guess that if, if you're if you're being critical, you think he's got the two starts there. Oh, he just if he just got a fifty just to get his series going, that would have been good. Milan, like we said, I mean, he was he was one of England's best batters four years ago, and uh, that's been, I guess, somewhat of a success story so far. It was it was kind of the right call to bring him back in the summer, and he and he looks the part. Um, he he had a bit of luck, but I guess you need a bit of luck as well, and and he got something there. Um, uh, the, the one the one guy that's kind of interested me um it, going into the series was was Joss Butler um and the fact that you know test cricket is you know he's 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 never really nailed it he's had his moments um he was having his moments earlier at the, st- the last summer building into this year and then he was rested and rested again and then just had such a disjointed year that it's that it felt like oh he was just starting to click and then he really struggled and when he came back in the summer against India. Um and, and it's always been kind of weird watching him because he himself has talked about, well I can't really play that white ball mode in, in Red Bull cricket. He's you know, I have to 
play the situation is what he says and you've got to have a solid defence. Um, but coming to the series, he talked about wanting to play with a sense of freedom and he'd come off the T20 World Cup as well. And so it was quite interesting watching him in this test match because he was there was there was a level of uh, counter-attack in that first innings. And there was also that yesterday as well for a bit. Um, when, we can, of, when we were allowed to watch it. Yes, that's right, yeah. Oh, there was one moment where we were on the sort of the third man camera and he either played the greatest shot I've ever seen or he played a mist. And I later <laughs> found out that he had played a mist. Um, we should give, for people who didn't start last night, yeah, let's give a bit of context on what happened with the... Yeah, so for, for half an hour, uh, Fox, who were providing the world feed, that the feed went down. So it was literally impossible to watch the, the cricket for about half an hour anywhere in the world unless you were in the ground. Um, and it's linked with um, the technological failures that meant that there was no checking of the front foot, no ball from the TV umpire, and also there was no snicker in the test match. Um, and I think Dan Brettig re- re- reported in The Age in Australia that because of Brisbane's strict quarantine rules, Fox's production team was was less than a third of its normal size. So they couldn't, when things went wrong and things weren't quite working well a few times in the test match, they didn't have the personnel there to, to fix things quickly. So there was a power outage, basically. So you had this ridiculous situation where the feed you were getting was just a solitary camera that BT were using for their pitch side interviews from Third Man uh, with Matt Smith, Alistair Cook and Steve Holmes in the BT studio providing the commentary on it. Alistair Cook quite early on admitting that yeah. this isn't really where he comes into his own. <laughs> <laughs> um, oddly enough, that was probably the most... Uh, England's best passage of players. So yes, it was. They did well, it? didn't they? They did really yeah. well. They looked really good. Obviously, you couldn't tell where the ball was, but they, they looked, they were getting a nice, I think Harvester said, they're getting in nice positions. And I was like, yeah, they are actually. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Yeah. Um, quite, quite an interesting dynamic developing there with, with BT, who obviously decided to take Fox's commentary, but hate it. So they can't help but kind of slag it off. Yeah. Which I'm not sure really, I can understand where they're coming from. I do find some of the Aussie commentary quite frustrating, but... Not sure it's the best way to sell your product, particularly when presumably BT could have sent their own commentary team out there if they'd wanted to splash out a bit. So they've taken Fox and are now openly saying they think it's rubbish, which is a bit bit of an odd way to present yeah. your, your Ashes coverage. It was a bit odd. Uh, maybe it's because I was watching the, the last four days alone and I'm sleep deprived. But I actually kind of, it, it grew on me, the, the Fox coverage. Uh, I thought I thought it was all right by the end of it. You need to get back into society for the next few days, yes, yeah. and, and see some more people enjoy life again. This is basically the first conversation I've had in four <laughs> days. Um, I promise we will talk about Australia in a bit more depth and the positives of, of Australia um, in a bit. Um, but I just wanted to dwell on that Milan root partnership for a bit because that was the 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 only pretty much pretty, pretty <laughs> much the, that, that was the best bit of the test, wasn't it? Um, I thought those two showed that in Australia, when the pitch is flat, the kookaburra ball gets old. This Australia attack, like every attack ever, it's difficult to get wickets. I thought uh, it was interesting that Hazelwood seemed to actually be fit. He just didn't bowl with the old ball. Uh, Stark was very loose. Uh, Line wasn't quite as threatening as he was on day four. I mean, even Cummins wasn't quite his his threatening self. So, Joe, you, you can see how England, if one or two players get into form, can can trouble Australia. Uh, yeah, that as you as you wrote when you predicted the great escape was on. Um, <laughs> I didn't predict it. I just said it. That's factually. what the headline said, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> on question mark, sure. Um, yeah, that, that there was a there was a, a template there. The, the, there was a, a a glimpse of how England could 
do well in Australia. Uh, crucially, Root didn't come to the crease until the 21st over, I think. Uh, Hamid, obviously, he only got 20-odd, but did stick around, did blunt the new ball, which makes it so much easier for, for Root. Um, and obviously, we, we didn't lose a wicket to the very first delivery of the innings, which is also helpful. Uh, so so there is, there is, I guess, a glimmer of hope. But the problem is, how many of England's players have, have done it consistently? I mean, we're just coming back to the point made earlier, but... Stokes is, is obviously one who, who can play in that manner uh, in that, that Milan, I suppose, did. Root was so fluent, he's just playing on another level. You almost can't, you can't say Root's doing that, so that gives England optimism because he's just on a different plane. But Milan playing that way, I think there is, there is a lot to be learned there and he started to leave quite well after playing a poor shot in the first innings. Let's be honest, he did have a little bit of luck as well. Uh, although, when you compare it with David Warner's luck in the first innings, I suppose that may be balanced out, perhaps. Um, so there is there is something there, and I, I don't think I don't even though I think England are going to lose comprehensively. I think I think there will still be moments by the very nature of the pitches that England do have good days and do score a lot of runs. But the question is, can they string them together? And we had one good day, and the next morning it, it was all basically made broadly irrelevant. Um, it was frustrating as well that Root didn't get that hundred. Not that the 12 runs would have made any difference in terms of the match, of, of course, but just to get that kind of monkey off his back, that 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 feeling of having a score that Ashes 100, that people can stop talking about about that thing. Um, but then there are obviously issues in that England batting lineup that is, is the worst possible start for Rory Burns, isn't it? I mean, obviously the first ball was literally the worst possible spot, but that test match could have been out for a duck in the second innings. That drop of Warner was... Re- a really key moment after England bowled brilliantly on that first morning on day two. Really bad drop. Doesn't get any runs in the second innings. And now there is going to be immediately pressure on his place. He's he's probably two more failures away from being dropped. And you don't want to start an Ashes series in that kind of vein because it's very, very hard to pull it back, especially when you're walking out to face Hazelwood and, and Cummins. Mm, um, yeah, one thing on England not making the most of good batting conditions since the start of the 2015 Ashes... Uh, Australia have scored 850-plus individual scores in that time. England have only had one. Cooks, 2-4-4 at Melbourne. Um, Taha Cummins picked up his first Ashes Fifer in the first innings, his first test as as captain. Him and Hazelwood are are just so good. I mean, we've been critical of England's batting lineup, but when the ball's doing stuff, those guys look as lethal as anyone on the planet at the moment. Yeah, and they're so good that it's kind of... Like, it's not particularly exciting to watch them because they are just so there's not there's not a great deal of drama to watching those two guys because you know exactly what they're going to do they're just going to play all those same same areas be really subtle with their changes where the batter feels it maybe we don't particularly see it but the batters can tell oh they're kind of doing something different here and and their sort of boringness is what makes them so exceptional um whereas stark is kind of it's quite exciting because he's can be a bit all over the place, but then bowl like some sort of incredible Yorker or, some, or something like that, basically. Um, but yeah, those 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 two are you know, exceptional again. Those two are the ones I imagine the England batters are worry about the most, you know. But I think that the kind of interesting thing I found about this Australia attack in this test is just what a kind of Cameron Green's importance now. He's probably not been. He's probably more important now than he was when he first came in against India, just because of the fact that these Australian bowlers are coming in very undercooked. You know, they just 
been playing at a T20 World Cup where they're just bowling four overs. Um, and so you don't want to put too much of a burden on them. England not batting for a long period <laughs> helps with that too. But then you saw Green's importance in that in that second innings where he's, you know, no, no, he comes in and he can, he was able to tie up an end, which is exactly what you want from him as as your fourth seamer. Um, and I think his story is, a, is an interesting one, and the one that, you know, he he came into. Australian cricket and you know state cricket as a out and out quick he was you know 17 years old he kind of got a five for on his first class debut and he's only kind of come in as as a batter and like just tore it up in the last couple of years um but he's had back problems and you know stress fractures and you're uh, saying he's remodeled his action as well basically so you know basically he had a back stress fracture two years ago um the bowling coach that came in at Western Australia Matt Mason uh, took a look at him and said, we need to sort this out because you're just going to keep breaking down, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Green himself, I think, recognised that he needed to sort himself out because he was kept on getting these injuries. Um, and leading into the series, Mason, he, you know, I interviewed Mason and he told me how, you know, obviously last summer it was kind of, he got called in and, and Mason himself was kind of like, oh, he's he's still not ready, you know? And, and you could see it against India. He didn't take a wicket. Um, his overs were controlled. His, they were managing his workload, and slowly he's been building up and building up. And now he can bowl a few more overs. Um, Mason himself told me when he first saw him as a you know when he was 2019, you know, Cameron Green was a 90 mile an hour man. He was bowl, he could bowl 145 kilometers an hour, and he kind of told Green, you know, just stick to 130. Be happy bowling 135. Let's keep working on your action. He's still a work in progress, by the way. Um, but he's still even in this test match he's clocking 140 and he's got the, he's got real pace the height obviously must make a difference um, I think that's what got Pope in the first inning exactly I mean he's not you know people are saying he's not doing much with the ball but it's kind of like a fourth seamer who's still developing and he's just as long as he's being accurate that's all you want and also he was doing ball, enough the ball he got root with yeah. that's moved away a lot with, with the old yeah. ball as well, yeah. I guess it's quite a lazy comparison, but he kind of reminds me a bit of Shane Watson with the yeah. ball, especially the, with, with how economical he was. He kind of tossed the ball yeah. to Watson. I guess this is a period where Australia didn't have someone like Lyon in the spin department and Watson had to do the holding role. And now you've got Lyon, who bowled very well on day four, and you've got Green as well, yeah. who you can almost trust to go so under this, two and a This is the hope for him in Australian cricket, right? If he can be that all-rounder that they've always craved and they've not had for, for a long time. Watson was... Like you said, excellent at doing those sort of economical spells. Um, but in the end, he kind of was essentially, a, in test cricket, he was basically about who, who bowled a few overs. By the end of his career, he was barely bowling, right? Uh, Green Green's interesting in that he could potentially be more, especially with those natural attributes. Um, but he looks like he's already going to play a really key part in the series. I mean, we, we've still not seen... I mean, you've got a first baller with a bat, um, but he's, he's quite sort of like a tall but quiet character who's kind of like kind of make quite a big impression in the series. Yeah, I, I thought he was uh, ominously good with the ball in this test. Uh, it's interesting to make the Watson comparison. For me, there's, it made me think of early Flintoff when Flintoff was not by no means expressed when he first emerged. Also had his injury difficulties, but you could see there was a really, really good bowler in there. And obviously Flintoff ended up bowling 90 miles an hour and being uh, arguably England's best bowler for, for a period there. Uh, if Green can become that bowler, which it kind of looks like he could. That's um, it's kind of a terrifying thought. It also, sort of leaning on what Taha said as well, that having that four-seamer is so useful, particularly if Stark's going to be a little bit erratic, a bit in and out, 
you can almost use Stark top and tail. You can use him with a newborn. You can use him to finish off the tail if Green is going to be reliable as, as that fourth seamer. So mm. it didn't quite work for Australia in this test because Hazelwood obviously didn't bowl when England were... I mean, it's no coincidence when England were on, were on top for a bit in the context of that scenario, not the match as a whole. Um, so they had to keep using Stark. But if if Hazel was on, was on the pitch there, I don't think Stark would have had to bowl that much in that in that session, in those two sessions, because Green could have done some of the heavy lifting. And then you've got Hazelwood, you've got Cummins and you've got Lyon. Stark can almost just be kind of uh, held back until he's at his most lethal. Um, that said, I think there was enough... Uh, waywardness in Stark suggests that Jai Richardson will get a chance sooner rather than later. I don't know, probably not for Adelaide, but I wouldn't be surprised come the third test of Jai Richardson's uh, playing rather than Stark. Um, Australia made over 400 in their response to England's 147. Warner scored 94. Labuschagne 70-odd. Um, and Travis Head with the third fastest 100 in national history that we've not talked about yet. Um, never in doubt, Joe. <laughs> what was it? Nothing to fear from Travis Head, <laughs> I think I might have said. But you, did, but you did reference his good start in the Shield this year. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. That's generous. Uh, yeah, I think the point was in context of the other Australian giants in that batting lineup, he shouldn't hold any fear for, for England. But obviously, uh, he should have done because he batted brilliantly. Um, and he showed the value of seeing off the new ball and batting against a, a tiring attack late in the day. And that's not to take anything away from him. He, he played the role beautifully, perfectly. Um, but that's exactly the role that you want to see Stokes or Pope or Butler be able to play of the top order have done some of the heavy lifting. Mm, I just loved how ruthless he was. So when England bowled badly, he properly punished them. It was, it, he, he was happy to strike at 120. The bowling was, was there to be hit. He, he hit it. He hit one incredible shot of wood where he kind of leant onto his front foot and just let the arms free and it smashed him through cover point. And as like, soon as Stokes came to the attack, he just smashed him as well. Yeah. Didn't he? he sensed that Stokes was obviously not his, not his best struggling with that knee injury. He just had it just looked so right from the off. He looked mm. really confident in a way that I haven't seen him bat with that kind of confidence. Obviously, he does in Aussie domestic cricket. He's got he's got a fine record. Mm. Um, so that's a bit of a shame that, yeah. that one of the I suppose Marcus Harris didn't get any runs, did he? Yeah. So that's something. Yeah, well, we, we, we talked about a last week show that Kawaja, <laughs> Kawaja might come in as a, uh, as an opener at some point in the series, and I think that that the way Harris batted even in the second innings I think that that may may well happen I think it's quite interesting I've I've seen Head play uh, in England in county cricket and not do that well I've seen him play test yeah, cricket really in England Sussex, yeah, average 18. 18 yeah uh, and he and he I've seen him play test cricket in England and he's not done that well it's quite interesting the Australian commentator was saying how he's playing his natural game when he batted I was like I, I just didn't know that was a natural game because, because of how he's gone in England um, and I guess it's from an Australian perspective to 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 have a player who who wants to bat like that feel free enough and comfortable enough to bat like that when I, there was literally pressure for his space place going into the test match I think from an Australian point of view is is very encouraging. Um, I thought I thought Labuschagne looked brilliant. I thought he was so so good. I mean he threw it away cutting a long hop from Leach straight to point. But I think I thought it was as good as Root in terms of when he was when he was batting which didn't look like getting out was, he, I think he's the one not Smith actually I think he's going to punish England most this series he's the one with you know Smith was at the World Cup as well he's mm. the one also who's been in the shield you know making runs there and so he's kind of yeah he's kind of primed and ready and it's it's, it's, it's interesting to reflect on two years ago where he sort of came in sort of out of nowhere and, and where he is now because now there's a kind of a um a presence to him as he kind of walks to the crease. It's like, oh, this guy 
this guy's kind of like the real deal. Like he could actually, he can rival Smith in terms of who's going to be like the leading run scorer. And he, you know, I, yeah, I, I think he'll probably finish as a leading run scorer in the series. He just looked, he looked in complete control. He was kind of, there were some really like tight leaves at the start of his innings where it's just like, what, how, how are you judging that? And obviously he's got his unique way about him. And so he's so relaxed with how he does it. And um, yeah, it just looked, yeah, like you said, he looked, he was just in complete control. He batted beautifully. I, I really like watching Labuschagne. He's just a really entertaining uh, character and cricketer. Um, but obviously there's quite a bit of chat about him being captain at some stage. That surely can't happen, right? I mean, he's for, for alone for DRS because he thinks everything <laughs> yeah, yeah. is out. He couldn't possibly be captain. And I don't know, there was, um, actually I think Phil might have mentioned in the last show that Greg Chappell said Labuschagne's like, emotional character isn't well suited to being captain. And that certainly seems... <laughs> that seems my impression. I mean, yeah. it'd be great entertainment, but I'm, I think Cummins seems like the right choice, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think Labuschagne is for an Australian from an Australian's perspective. Labuschagne is just fine batting a three and averaging sixty-seven or whatever yeah, he averages. You'll, you'll take that. Uh, yeah. Um, Joe, I thought England bowled really well for 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 the first two sessions on day two. Uh, Wood and Robinson, I thought, were excellent. Uh, Wood so unlucky not to get more wickets. Beat Warner time and time again. You could see that his pace was causing Australia problems. Got Smith out with a really nice ball. Uh, yeah, the wheels came off. Stokes wasn't fully fit. Rob- Robinson was knackered. Um, but Leach was targeted in a way that I think is a bit worrying for England. I thought it was different to when he got um, targeted in Chennai by Pant. Um, but and I guess with Stokes and Robinson, you got you, you kind of got the sense of what a lack of physical preparation does. Uh, they've not really had a day in the dirt for a long time but on Robinson and Wood that's an encouraging thing for England because no Anderson ball a lot was made of that at the start of the test match but they bowled really really well yeah that they were really encouraged. I, I felt very sorry for them on the morning of day two I thought yeah Robinson and Wood in particular were excellent um, chances put down just poor luck um, Robinson beat them out on so many occasions uh, that is that is really encouraging I think as a as a group we had high hopes for Robinson in the series and I think he's shown already that he's he's going to do well out there I think he'll I think he will have a really good series um Wood is always like you're kind of enjoying it but thinking how long is it going to last is he really going to be able to play in a back-to-back test in Adelaide next next week and if he is would he be in any state to play the third or the fourth or the fifth that's always the thing you've got to manage with Mark Wood and work out how best to use him and what pitches are going to best suit his attributes because they are unique in that England's uh set up with with no archer there he is far and away their fastest bowler so to leave him out feels like a conservative move but you've also got to work out when that pace is best utilized it's a, it's a tricky balancing act they've got i thought root managed him really well he, he exclusively bowled i think just three over spells and i thought you know that was very much a man who's learned his lesson how to use a guy who bowls 90 plus miles per hour given how he used archer in 2019 i thought that, that was quite encouraging um, maybe the fact that he's just bowled in one innings uh, in this match, got a couple of days rest. That could be that's quite very crucial. True. That's very true. Yeah, good foresight from the England batters. Then, <laughs> yeah, was <laughs> yeah. a real silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Woods not completely. <laughs> yeah, well, we need to get we need to get Woody fit for the next test. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, before we move on, um, Lord Ian Botham is arguably one of the greatest cricketers that England has ever produced. The 1981 Ashes, Botham's Ashes, were undoubtedly his crowning glory. What is less known, though, is Ian's 
lifelong passion for wine and the art of creating it. 40 years as an international cricketer and commentator took both of them to wineries and vineyards across the globe. In the development of his own range of wines, he worked passionately with renowned winemakers to create bespoke blends to his exacting standards. Only when a wine is good enough to go on his own table does Ian allow his name to go on the label. Over the course of the Ashes, we are working in partnership with Botham Wines to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Botham's Ashes. Stock up for Christmas now at BothamWines.com, where you can also buy his 22 yards London dry gin and his gin-filled Christmas baubles. Thanks for your questions and your emails, uh, as, as usual, um, especially those that came in between the hours of two and three in the morning. Uh, <laughs> one of which is from Max, who sent us an email saying, I seem to be the only person with this perspective, um, at least from what I've read and heard so far. But I think England should be encouraged by the Gabba test, despite the result. He said Hamid looked good. Australia had the rub of the green, etc. Um, Tar, what do you reckon? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's quite optimistic. Oh, I do want to finish my Butler point. Yes. Because that was an optimistic point. Yeah. In that, um, like I was saying, he has talked about playing the situation, but coming into this tournament, uh, coming to the series, uh, he talks about wanting to play with a bit of freedom. He's coming off the T20 World Cup. Uh, we kind of saw that in those two innings. And when he did get out yesterday, it was kind of, it was kind of, it kind of went against everything he'd been doing leading up to that point where he just wasn't decisive. He was kind of, well, should I play it? Should I not? Which obviously happens against these bowlers. The key is, and it's, it's the big if is can, can the, the guys coming in before him give him the room to, to, you know, play those, play those innings and, and make them into big scores, which is basically, you know, you know, yesterday could have made a big difference if England had got to that new ball, Root and Milan had got to that new ball, kind of managed to negate it for just you know, 10 overs or something like that. And, and just given Butler the space to come in and, and do what he is very much capable of doing. And it seems like he's kind of like in the right sort of mental space to to get runs in, in, in this series. And so I think he is, he is, he is a positive. I think I'm I kind of, I quite like the look of the way he was, sort of just going about his, his game, his kind of approach and it kind of suggests to me that like, there is something there to work with and that he can really actually have quite decent series. Mm. So there's there's, a, there's another little layer of optimism there. That's good. Um, Tom asks, how can England juggle the batting depth assuming Broad and or Anderson play the next test? Can they bat Robinson at eight or do they need Wokes to be at eight? If Wokes bats at eight, who misses out between Robinson and Wood? Um, a bit left field, but could they play Overton at eight and Robinson at nine to to to, to bolster the batting? I, I guess moving on to the next Test match from an England point of view, we expect the top seven to be the top seven from the batting point of view. So Joe, answering Tom's question, how how do you how do you get four quicks, assuming Leach doesn't play the next Test match, into an eleven? Um, yeah, I think it's a bit of an unsolvable puzzle, unfortunately, when it comes to batting depth. Um, well, so I would to to go through the team. Obviously, I would have the have have the same top seven. I would drop Leach for Anderson, uh, and then I would want to get Broad in. Uh, so I'd check on the fitness of of Mark Wood. If he's fit and ready to go, then he plays. And then I suppose it's Broad in for Wokes. Wokes was the the weakest of England seamers in in this test, but Bar Stokes are so their kind of frontline seamers. But then you have got Robinson at eight, who hasn't got a run since he he had quite a promising. Uh, debut with the bat and that is an issue and uh, uh, Warren picked out some stats on commentary of what Australia's bottom four 
have have provided compared to England's, and and it's a huge. There are there are several kind of chasms between the team, but that is an enormous one, and and England desperately need those runs, and I'm not quite sure how they do it. The other thing, Wokes at eight is not the same as having Wokes at eight in England. He obviously struggles against the short ball. Uh, I know you've got a few in this test, but I, I don't really see him getting big scores in the way that I might back him to in England. So it, it's potentially, is it worth picking Wokes because his batting is superior when actually we don't necessarily think he's going to score that many runs in Australia anyway? Do you just say, all right, we'll go with our best four bowlers for the conditions and hope that's enough to win us a test? That is probably what I would do for Adelaide. So I'd go Broad, Anderson, Robinson, Wood, and just accept that we're not going to score many runs from the last four wickets, which we haven't been doing anyway. But it's not; it's certainly not ideal. Mm. Tartle, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think, I think Joe's right, basically. Yeah, yeah I, so I, I completely get that. But Robinson has batted so badly since his first test match. That is, that is, that is as weak a... Uh, an 8, 9, 10, 11. I can remember, I think England had one pretty bad one for one of the New Zealand home tests. But well, that, it, that it, is... But if, okay, so we say Wokes has to play at I, 8 because we so. need his batting, then which seamer does, misses out? Probably Broad. Uh, there is also an issue, I think. I think all of us were surprised that neither Broad or Anderson yeah. played. And now if you play both of them, you're playing two bowlers who are obviously getting mm. on a bit haven't got many overs in their legs. Broad hasn't played for a long time. It's quite a risk having both of them in the same attack, I think. And this yeah. this is always the advantage of having one and having and the advantage we would have had of playing one at Brisbane in that you, you get a bit of overs in everyone's legs and hopefully everyone gets up to speed. Whereas now it feels quite a risk to have half your attack, mm. Broad and Anderson, who are coming in cold. And, and you can't really rely on Stokes, fitness-wise. Um, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, 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 this is one, I think we've been critical of... of Silverwood and Roots selections and certainly the treatment of, of Jack Leach. But I do have sympathy with with the balancing of the the seamers and the lack of runs that the tail are providing. I'm not, I just don't think there is really a, a, a neat solution that fits fits the bill. Yeah, I, I think I think with Anderson coming back in, I'd, I'd, I'd keep Wokes just because I don't think there's that much of a difference between Wokes and Broad bowling-wise and the batting's obviously there is enough of a difference there to, to, for me to go for Wokes. I also think Wokes bowl pretty well he didn't start great, but he bowled pretty well. And I think um, if you're comparing England 2021-22 to 17-18, yeah, England batted worse in this test match than they did at Brisbane in 2017-18, but I think they bowled quite a lot better. I think Robinson and Wood were like, genuinely very, very good. I think you've got to keep them in. Works bowled pretty well, to be honest, not worse than how Broad's gone on some Ashes tours in the past. So I think I'd, I think I can, I'd stick with Works. I can completely understand that and I, I would be pretty happy with that selection as well to be honest but that does you do have a potential scenario there where England are 2-0 down in the Ashes after two tests and Stuart Broad hasn't got a game and people are rightly going to say why haven't you played Stuart Broad Stuart Broad might be one of them um, <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing we should have mentioned earlier is is Nathan Lyon getting to 400 test wickets and how well he bowled on day four um, there's a great stat from Crickviz analyst Ben Jones so in test matches in Australia Nathan Lyon has 204 wickets at 33 in those test matches, other spinners have taken 180 wickets at 63, which is incredible. So he's basically got an average of about half of other spinners. And I know he didn't go great against India last winter, but oh, when he's on song, he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant, brilliant bowler to watch. And there was glimpses of that on day four, um, especially when he's got a silly point in. 
uh, when you got David Milan <laughs> right, after the yeah. commentators going on and on about that. That was a good win for for Mark Orr and Shane Warne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did yeah, that was quite amusing. Um, I've the the thing I've always loved about Nathan Lyon, uh, and which is probably one of the reasons why he is so successful in those conditions, is that he just gives that ball a lot of revs. Like he has always had that ability. When when he first came to the side, he didn't have the he didn't have the nuances really. He was still trying to figure out what what worked for him in Test match cricket in terms of coming over the wicket, around the wicket. Tactically, he was still developing. He hadn't played a lot of first class cricket before he started playing Test cricket. Um, and I think the first time I ever saw him, he played in the sort of the the BBL at the time. It wasn't you know it was, yeah whatever it, whatever it was called. Um, and what he had then as well is that he had flight and he and he ripped the ball and so he was he was I was watching him in T Twenty cricket but you could tell oh there's a red ball bowler there as well um, and and he's always had that and he's kind of um, and he's just developed and developed and he's had stages where he's kind of like ticked a box basically and you know he ticked a box seven years ago when he sort of bowled straight to victory in India and he's kind of it's it's incredible to see that he's come and taken 400 test wickets now that's an extraordinary achievement so few bowlers have done that well, only Warden and McGraw have more for Australia oh right exactly um, and so that's there's, there's always that enjoyment with him in that he he has that natural rip he gets you know he gets what makes him so successful in Australia as well is that he can kind of get that extra bounce from the mm. from the overspin he has um, but yeah incredible achievement and it was he was always <laughs> that, that wait for the four, 400th was just going on and on and on but you kind of sense that you know, once he kind of got his rhythm, got it all together, he was going to have a say, and he's going to have mm. a, uh, have a say in the series, isn't he? Yeah, mm. I think he's been around for so long. It's almost it's kind of hard to remember when he when he wasn't playing for Australia. But it's, it's easy to forget that for what five years, four or five years, Australia didn't have a spinner worthy of the name. They tried all sorts, uh, none of which went particularly well, or some went briefly well, and then... Michael Beer, Xavier Doty. Yeah, and, and it's no coincidence, the only time England have, have won in Australia that I can remember in my lifetime, just about, um, Australia didn't didn't have a spinner, basically. I mean, sometimes they didn't play a spinner. When they played Doherty, he just got smashed by Peterson at Adelaide. Beer went for loads of runs as well. Um, so that really shows, I mean, obviously 400 wickets shows it pretty well, but it shows what Australia were missing when they didn't have a spinner of Lions quality. And also it just emphasizes the gap in England's, uh, spin department as well. Um, in that Leach is not really equipped to do the role that, that Lion does in terms of either taking wickets or holding down an end and, and Lion can do both. Uh, some of that is not necessarily Leach's fault in that he hasn't, been given enough chances and, and and been able to feel settled in the side but um yeah you just you just look at lion and the way he balances that attack and it's hard not to feel very envious yeah there's a sorry there's just a contrast in in the way you look at selection as well and that shows you a class of a spinner jack leach's sort of value is sort of so weirdly linked to ben stokes's value if ben stokes isn't there it's like oh now we can play leach with with lion it's it doesn't matter whether you have an all-rounder or not now they do have Cameron Green but before that it was like well he's he's just gonna he's gonna be fine yeah like, we don't need a we don't we don't have to think about insurance we can just go in with Nathan Lyon that's what makes that's that speaks to his his excellence really kind of like England with Swan right in England yeah, exactly. it's the only time this century really England haven't really been bothered about playing an all-rounder or well, having Colling, four quicks Collingwood was the fifth bowler yeah, exactly. for, for a long period exactly. of time and also with Lyon uh 
some of the criticism he's got over the last year or so, he, st- he still doesn't go for many. It's not as if the opposition can really attack. I, I know Pant did that a little bit last winter, but in the first innings when he didn't bowl, or sorry, on day three when he didn't bowl that well, it wasn't as if England were really going after him. Um, yeah, he's got remarkable control. Um, to finish the show, um, English listeners, if you're wondering, I wonder how the England Lions are doing. Uh, I've got some bad news for you. Um, so oh, not more, yes. <laughs> You're going to finish with a pick-me-up. Um, so in so Australia, A, batted first. They were bowled out for 213, which is good going from England. Um, Liam Norwell took a 5 for 5 for, five for 58. Don Best took 4 for 80. Um, wasn't a great 4 for, not going to lie. A couple of long hops in there. Um, and then England were blown away for 103. Michael Nisa took 5 for 29. Um, none of England's top five passed 10. Uh, Josh Bannon top scored 22. Then Australia piled on 349 for four, declared um, Nick Madison hit 71 of 46. Um, Bryce Street scored 100. Uh, and, what were Bess's Mi- figures in that innings? Uh, two for 157 off 37 overs. And, and Mitchell Marsh scored 60 off 27, including seven sixes. Um, and England uh, go better in the second innings there, 136 to three. James Brace is currently... 57 not out get him so in get, get, it, get him in he's got he's got I think that's I think that's the close of play after day three I think so England got 300 to win on the last day um, yeah go on go on James Bracey um, that's all uh, the time we have today cheers our cheers Joe cheers for coming in on Saturday uh, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast in association with Charles Tirrett remember to use the code Wisdom20 at checkout we'll be back next week if you enjoy the show tell your friends and yeah, we'll see you after the second test match. Sports Social Podcast Network.